Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. If you would, go ahead and meet me in Colossians chapter 1. Got it. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And we're actually going to jump into Colossians here for about 12 weeks, uh, the week after next week. And so I'm just giving you a little dose, a little taste of things to come. Uh, But Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. If you're new to the Bible, just go ahead uh, and Google it. But let me go ahead and introduce myself. My name is Pastor Steve. I'm a teaching pastor here and have the privilege of helping lead our small group community um, and things around spiritual formation and discipleship. So uh, I'm actually closing out our committed series, and we launched off uh, in our committed series uh, with the idea of prayer and fasting and being committed to prayer and experiencing intimacy with God. And I get to wrap up uh, our conversation on this idea of discipleship uh, and what it looks like from the scripture. So we looked at uh, prayer and fasting, and we, we've looked at uh, generosity, and we've looked at community, we've looked at fellowship and friendship, um, and, and then uh, we're, we're going to jump in and look at discipleship. So those parts of the relational aspects of the regular rhythm and routine of followers of Jesus, that's what we're going to be finishing out today. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, when you got it, would you do me a favor and just shout, I got it. If you would, please rest on your feet as we read the scripture together. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It reads this way. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The very words of scripture. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, true story, a guy by the name of Hank Aaron, who broke Babe Ruth's home run record uh, when he was playing baseball, uh, had an exhibition game against the New York Yankees, and he's playing for the Milwaukee Braves. How long ago it was, the, the Braves are actually in Atlanta now, and they're the Milwaukee Brewers, and so it was a while ago. And it's an exhibition game, and they're playing the New York Yankees, and the star player at that time for the New York Yankees was their catcher, a guy by the name of Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra. And if you know anything about baseball, you know that there are times when there can be some banter between the catcher and the batter, or the catcher, the pitcher, and the batter. Uh, And on this particular occasion, as Hank Aaron stepped up to the plate during this exhibition game, Yogi Berra got fired up uh, and started taunting Hank Aaron. Uh, So he says, as he's getting ready to see the first pitch come in, uh, he says, big man, little stick, big man, little stick. They tell me, Hank, you can't even read. Big man, little stick, big man, little stick. They tell me, Hank, you can't even read. All of a sudden, the pitcher rears back and throws a fastball right down the middle for strike one. This only fires up Yogi Berra even further, uh, and and he's yelling at Hank Aaron, big man, little stick, big man, little stick. They tell me, Hank, you can't even read. 
pitcher rears back and throws another strike. And uh, now Yogi Berra is even more fired up. The pitcher rears back again. Uh, Yogi Berra continues, big man, little stick, big man, little stick. They tell me, Hank, you can't even read. When all of a sudden, Hank Aaron swings straight through the strike zone and with his home run stroke hits the ball over the left field fence. He trots around first base and he trots around second base, comes around third base, then comes to home plate, runs over to the dugout, gets ready to go into the dugout when he turns on his feet and yells over to Yogi Berra. He says, hey, Yogi, I didn't come here to read. I came here to hit home runs. Here, here is a man who knew, who knew the mission. Here, uh, here is a man who, who knew his purpose, so much so uh, that he would not allow anyone or anything to distract him from that mission. I didn't come here, Yogi, to read. I came here to hit home runs. As we get ready to come to our passage this morning, and in light of the fact that we have been in a global pandemic for the past couple of years, uh, the, the reality is, is that the regular rhythms and routines of our lives, especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus, have been changed. They have, uh, they have, uh, they have been disrupted. Uh, and essentially, as we talk about uh, about generosity, and we talk about the gospel, and we talk about prayer, and we talk about community, and we talk about fellowship and friendship, and now as we talk about discipleship, uh, what I want to do is reorient us to the mission, reorient us to to the purpose, the thing that God has called us to. And as we look at the Apostle Paul's life and the thing that he has given his life to, his purpose, his mission, we then in turn will find our own and hopefully on the journey that is the Christian faith kind of come back in line with what God calls the priorities of our lives. I, I want to preach from the subject committed to discipleship, committed to discipleship. This is going to kind of be our table of contents for our time together. The first thing we're going to look at is a purpose. The second thing we're going to look at is a play. And the last thing we're going to look at is a priority, a purpose, a play, a priority. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together to sing to you, uh, God, uh, to worship you. And I know that Somebody here today, their mom didn't plan on them being here, their, their daddy didn't plan on them being here, but you have a purpose for them, God. They are not an accident to you. Uh, there, there is a Psalm 139 uh, shaped and molded in our mother's womb purpose and calling on each one of our lives. And so, Father, I pray that in our time together today that you would illuminate that to our hearts that you would guide and direct. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. Stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my tongue, teach us those things which we are to know, say, and do. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. As we get ready to come to our passage, and as I said, this is kind of a teaser to our series that's getting ready to come, uh, but in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24, and then on through uh, verse 29, one, one of the things that, that we see in the book of Colossians is that the apostle Paul keeps talking about uh, this idea of a mystery, 
this idea of special knowledge. And, and what you have to understand is that at this particular time period in the church at Colossae, there was a group of people who had come into the church and they had come to the church to say, we've got the special knowledge. We, uh, we have uh, the highest level of of illumination, the highest level of revelation. We, uh, we know where the good life is found. We, we know the secret to life. Uh, and so as Paul then talks about the preeminence and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, uh, he says, do you want to know what the special knowledge is? Do you want to know? Uh, do you want to know what the special secret is? Do you want to know uh, where life and life to the full is found? Do you want to know where the good life is at? He says, "I'll tell you, the mystery, the secret hidden for ages and generations, is Christ in you, the hope of glory." You want to know the secret of, of life? The, the, the secret is, is that you and I were created in the image of God, and, uh, and the fact that we built our lives on something other than the one that we were created in, whose image we were created in, now in turn creates a separation between us and the one who created us, and God saw us in that space, and because of the great love with which he loved us, he incarnated himself into humanity. He lived the perfect life that nobody else could live. He died sacrificially in our place and for our sins, and he rose in victory over Satan's sin and death so that now you could come back into connection and community with the one whose image you're made in. You want to know, you want to know what the secret is? You, you, you want to know what the mystery hidden for ages uh, in generations, uh, you want to know what that, that is? It's, it's that, that grace literally, uh, literally took on flesh. It's that you don't have to prove that you belong. It's that you don't have to, uh, you don't have to check all the boxes. You don't have to, uh, to prove that you have a reason for existence. You, you don't have to prove your mama, your grandma, and them why you're special. There is a love outside of that that has come down into humanity for you to experience by grace. Here's the secret. The way to get there is simply by believing in the grace that was provided. Totally different than every way things are experienced in our human existence. The mystery hidden for ages and generations is that when you place your faith in Jesus, Jesus is in you and you are in Jesus and God the Father sees you the way he sees his son and calls you beloved. That's the secret. And, and, and so uh, the apostle Paul says that I have, I have given my life over to this mystery. I, I, I have given my life over to this message and, uh, and that message I, I, have, I, I am working to share that message with every person, everywhere, trying to present every person mature in Christ. That is, that is the goal of my, my life. That is, the goal, that is the goal of my existence. Or as he says uh, in, in verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's the point. That's, that's the 
the purpose. The, the purpose of life has been restored and revealed. And, and one of the tragedies, I think, of some of uh, us in the sanctuary today uh, is, is that paradoxically, we, we live busy lives, but at the same time, kind of purposeless lives. We live lives that are full of events and activity and work, and at the same time, even though we know the meta-narrative, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there's still no real big picture to the regular rhythms and routine of our lives. I love, I love, I love what Andre uh, Sullivan says, and the words will come up on the screen. He says, uh, he says, the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction. Hedonism, it's the idea of uh, experiencing pleasure as, as the purpose of life or, uh, or fulfill, the fulfillment of your desires in every way that, that you desire those things. He says, he says, that's like the immoral stuff, that's, that's not the greatest threat to faith. What the greatest threat to faith today is distraction. The, the greatest threat to the mystery hidden for ages and generations. It's not you fulfilling your desires. It's Instagram. I, I scroll, scroll every free moment. I'm, I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I, 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 had, to, I had to get off Instagram, Derek. I had to get, I had to get off. Because every waking moment that there was another thing happening or something wasn't happening, I, I, I would just, without thinking, what's happening? And then I'm comparing and contrasting myself to a projected life that other people are presenting. And that's happening every moment that there's a free moment in your day. The greatest threat is not you fulfilling your desires, it's distraction. It's, uh, it's, it's Netflix. It's, uh, it's, it's HBO Max. The, the, the greatest threat uh, to, to faith uh, is your online shopping habit. It ain't even got to be that you bought it. It's just that the, the natural inclination of your heart is, man, let me... What's Amazon got that I need? What do they got? I need some stuff. I need some stuff. Zara, Zara I, I'm going to step on some ladies' toes here. Zara, just got to see what Zara got. I just really, I, re, I can't make it down to the store, so I'll just make it on, online real quick, right? Uh, the, the, the greatest threat to our faith uh, is, not, uh, is, is not pursuing uh, the wrong things. It's distraction. The greatest threat to our faith is not getting all the things that we want or giving ourselves over to those things. It's, uh, it's, it's the constant daydream of the next five years. It's, it's the constant daydream of where do I want to be? What do I want to do? What, what city do I want to live in? What, what kind of house do I want to have? What, what, what do I want my life situation to be? So much so that, that, that we find ourselves never actually being present in the moment. The greatest threat 
to the, the maturity of your faith is not your desires, it's distraction. And so what, what I want to do is, is I want to I help us reorient ourselves to things that, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we would say, those, those things are important. Those, those things are meaningful. Those, those, that's, that's what this is all about. And yet, for some reason, I found myself wandering. I, I love... You know, earlier on in the year, as we started 2022, we talked about Psalm 90, and it's the oldest psalm in the Psalter, and uh, essentially Moses, who writes Psalm 90, says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And the point of what Moses is trying to say is, God, allow us to make the things that you call important, important to us. God, we, we've only, in this life, we've only got a certain amount of time. God, allow us to focus on the things that you say are important in life. Not on the distractions. Several years ago, there was a sitcom that, that came out that became actually like the, the most popular sitcom of all time, Luke. Uh, it was Seinfeld. Y'all remember Seinfeld? People love Seinfeld, right? Um, and if you pay attention to, to the, the sitcom Seinfeld, like, there never seems to be, like, real, really any plot to the storyline. It's just they're doing stuff. Somebody gets a new job. There's something weird that happens with somebody's boss. They started dating somebody new, you know, and it just goes on and on and on and on. Um, and, and it becomes the most popular sitcom of all time. And so sociologists began to wonder, like, why is this show so popular? Why, why is it the most popular show of all time? And, and as a matter of fact, one of the beginning episodes of Seinfeld, like literally Jerry Seinfeld said, this is a show about nothing. This is a plotless show. So how does a plotless show become the greatest sitcom of all time? Sociologists concluded that so many people watch Seinfeld because they could identify with the story. They were plotless people living plotless lives about nothing. Tomorrow, some of you are going to get up in that same old bed next to that same old spouse, eat that same old breakfast, cook by that same old spouse, go to those same old meetings. Maybe you'll get in the car and go to the office. Maybe you'll find a crazy spot in the home to do a Zoom call. Do those same old meetings. Clock out at the same old time, come home to that same old spouse, driving that same old car, eat the same old dinner with those same old kids, <laughs> take the same old shower, and get up and do it all over again. And here's the message of the gospel. 
You want to know what the mystery is, the secret of the good life, the secret to life and life to the full, the thing that breaks into the monotony of everyday life. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You want to know the, the, the thing that changes the trajectory of everything, that, that changes you from a plotless person living a plotless life, trying to make your way up, up and to the right and all of the things that other people say are important. It's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so the Apostle Paul says, I, 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 am, I am striving with all the energy that he so powerfully works within me uh, in, in order to present every person mature in Christ. For this I toil. That, that is the goal. That is the goal of my life. That, that, is, uh, that is the thing that I have built my life upon. That is the mission of making disciples. Making disciples. Producing, reproducing followers of Jesus. Producing, reproducing followers of Jesus. Producing, reproducing followers of Jesus. Now, oftentimes, when you think of this idea of discipleship or making disciples, oftentimes uh, in an American evangelical uh, church culture, it's like the pastor does the ministry. The pastor does that. The pa that's what the pastor, you, you need to know something, the pastor does that. And yet what we see in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, is that the pastors function more as basic trainers than they do as generals. Uh, the, 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 they, they function more as guides than they do as the ones doing it. So in other words, as the scripture says, we, we function as those who equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, in a practical way in 21st century life, how, how do I participate in the message of Christ in you, the hope of glory, the mystery hidden for ages and generations? How do I produce reproducing followers of Jesus? I am a person who does not like acronyms, and yet they are so helpful for remembering things. Uh, and so I, I want to present to you one of my favorite acronyms as it pertains to discipleship uh, in, in the scriptures. And so we've looked uh, at a purpose, and now we're going to look at a method, a method. If you were to turn your attention to the letters of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, what you will see is that there is this mature follower of Jesus named Paul who's writing to a young protege named Timothy. Matter of fact, he tells people to not allow people to look down on him for his youth. Uh, and, and so th there's, this, there's this mature uh, Christian leader pouring into a younger Christian leader. Uh, and, and he tells them, uh, as we sort of glean from the pages of their relationship, there's some things that we can take away from uh, when we look at this idea of being a person who's producing producing, reproducing followers of Jesus. And so this acronym is the acronym RIDE. If you're taking notes, uh, RIDE, RIDE. Somebody say RIDE. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, the apostle Paul speaking to his protege, uh, he calls him his beloved child. This, uh, this is 
We're so close, Timothy, that, that I see you as though you are my very own son. You are my beloved child. They had, uh, they had this established relationship where they, uh, they had spent time with one another. They had spent hours together. They had traveled with one another. They had been with one another. And, uh, and, and sometimes I think when we look at uh, or we think about discipleship, we think that that's the place where Pastor Steve downloads the information of Christianity on me. Uh, and, uh, and so what's the, what's the book that I need to read? What's the thing that I need uh, to, to, to get the information from? And, and that's discipleship. And yet what we see from the life of the Apostle Paul and his protege Timothy is that discipleship is very heavily relational. There is, there is relational capital that has to be built. And I'll tell you, you can have all the right information to tell me about myself or about the world. If, if you and I don't have a relationship, the person I have the relationship with words are going to mean that much more to me than they do of you. Discipleship is, uh, it is, uh, it is relational. Second Timothy 1 and verse 4, he says, I long to see you speaking to Timothy. Uh, and and they, were, they were so close, they had this established relationship, uh, and, and they were invested in one another's lives. It wasn't just about, I need some information, give me that information. I remember when I became a follower of Jesus, my, uh, my mentor at the time, uh, his name is C.J. Neal, and Kaylee and uh, Derek actually introduced me to C.J. Neal, uh, and Derek uh, was, was mentored by C.J. as well. And so CJ's a guy, he's 10 years older than us. He has a wife, he has children. And one day he called me up and I was just graduating junior college. And he said, man, why don't you come live uh, with me and my wife? And I thought to myself, that's weird, bro. <laughs> like, why would, like, I'm not your child. I'm not, I'm not even related to you. Why would, why would I come live with you and, and your wife? Um, and, and so eventually he convinces me that this is something that's valuable um, and, and over the course of time, I just got to watch him live his life. I got to watch him, uh, I got to watch him love his wife. I got to watch him, uh, I got to watch him love his kids. I, I got to watch him uh, read to his children before he put them down to bed. I, I got to watch him work out conflict with his wife in person. I got to watch all of those different things, and to this day, 15 years later, I'm still calling on those six months of time to inform my life right now. It's because discipleship, discipleship is relational. But not only is discipleship relational, but discipleship is inspirational. That's the second letter in our acronym. It is, it is inspirational. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, Paul tells his protege Timothy to fan into flame the gift that was given to you. And chapter 2, he says, to be a good soldier, a hardworking farmer, a competing athlete. It's to say that there are times in life when as we follow Jesus, we have a tendency to wander. We, we have the tendency to go through the motions. Uh, we have the tendency to mail it in. And discipleship calls people up to a standard of excellence. It calls people up. Th these are my expectations of you as a follower of Jesus. And if we're in deep, connected relationship, this is what I expect of you as a follower of Jesus. There are times when we need people to call us out on our stuff. We need people to kick us in the butt. 
to say, hey, get yourself together, bruh. Discipleship is, is relational, but also discipleship is, uh, is inspirational. This is the play. This is the play. But not only is it relational and inspirational, it's also doctrinal. Uh, it's doctrinal. This is where Paul points to Timothy and he, he reminds them as uh, he's talking to the, the, the church there, and even specifically in Colossae, he has to correct some stuff that had come into the church. Uh, and, and the thing that allows him to correct the stuff that had come into the church is them knowing the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is, this is why it's important to know that Christ fully human and fully God. This is why it's important to know that salvation is by grace through faith. And this is how Jesus is the grace incarnated himself, died in our place and for our sins. You're not standing in your righteousness. You're standing in Jesus's righteousness. These are things that are important to our faith. It is, uh, it is doctrinal. It requires some information sometimes. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, uh, remember the significance of the scriptures. He says, all scripture is God breathed, literally breathed out by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, man, there's some guides and some leaders and some pastors. That's where we come in. You don't, you don't need to go figure out how to Google best books on, on, on Christian. No, pastor. I, I went to grad school twice, y'all. I'm not like we're going to talk about the syllabus in, in grad school. But th there's part of that training that, that, that has equipped me to be a guide, to be a trainer. So the play, the play. We've seen the purpose and the, the, the play uh, is that discipleship is relational. It's inspirational. It's doctrinal. But last but certainly not least it's experiential. It's experiential. Uh, he says to his protege, he says to them uh, in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, he says, Timothy, go do it. Go preach the word. Go do what you've caught. You've watched me do this. Now you go do this. You've heard the information. Now you take the information and put it into action. I was in uh, the underground church in rural China ab about 10, 12 years ago, and I was a real young, uh, young minister, and, uh, and we're, we're that, yeah, I know, I was counting, I, I said 10 in the previous service, and I was like, that's longer than 10 years, um, and so you realize that's like 15 years, somewhere in there, anyways, so we're, we're here in, in rural China, and uh, we're like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not good for Americans to be in um, in like the rural areas of China. So they're like, cool if you're in the major cities, but if you travel outside of the major cities, it's like, what are you here for? Um, and so we're like undercover, uh, jumping into vans and jumping out and jumping into apartments and then coming. So anyways, it's, it's, it's like this thing where we're hiding essentially. And people came from all over China to hear like 23-year-old Steve tell them or explain to them uh, stuff uh, about Christianity. And, uh, and one of the translators said uh, to me, uh, he said, Steve, you, you realize why this is so important, right? This is so important, uh, you teaching us this stuff, because in America, you've had like 400 years of people writing Christian literature, stuff on 
the Holy Spirit and things on uh, the Trinity and, and all these different things, all these different resources that we've never had translated into our language. So I literally could come in and teach the basic fundamentals of Christianity and, 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 and just a method of how to share your faith, and it was completely new information. And I'm watching people who are leaders in the underground church where the Holy Spirit is moving, people are coming to faith in Christ, they're writing every word that I'm saying down, word for word. And the thing that I had to realize, and this is what the guy who was leading our team said, is that oftentimes in America, we expect to consume a lot of information and don't do anything with the information that we have. And so it's like, give me more information, give me more information, give me more information, give me more information. And we, we, we end up just being consumers of information. And so these people in, in rural China that, that are share, sharing their faith, they're, they're, they're literally learning from a 23-year-old college student because they don't have the, the resources that are at our fingertips and often just on our phones because the government controls that. And, and the thing that I, that I realized is that oftentimes the, the thing that God is calling us to, to step into that next level of maturity, is not more information. It's to do something with the information that we have. And so it's, it's like the Red Sea and the Dead Sea. If you were to go to Israel, what you would see in, uh, in the Red Sea is that it, it's incredibly clear. There's like special species of fish in, in the Red Sea, right? Um, and then if you were to look at the Dead Sea, it's just like a bunch of stuff floating around in, in the Dead Sea and like dead stuff floating around in the, in the Dead Sea. And it, it's filled with, uh, with salt water and so much so that there's so much buoyancy that you can just float on top of uh, of the Dead Sea. And the reason for this is that the Dead Sea has no outlet. It has stuff constantly going into it, but there's no outlet. Juxtapose that to the Red Sea, and what you see is there's stuff coming into the Red Sea, and there's constantly an outflow of stuff going out of the Red Sea. And it's because there's stuff coming in and going out that it's so healthy. But it's when you sit on the information that you have, when it's just more information and more information and more information, you just become like the Dead Sea. And so because, relation, uh, because discipleship is relational and inspirational and doctrinal and experiential, oftentimes we, we, look, we look at, uh, at discipleship or, or we look at the way something is going to be taught to me through the lens of school. And so, you know, you know, you know I, went to, I, I was telling this story. I, I went to grad school twice, so I like school, so I ain't throwing shade at school, but I'm, I'm telling you, I like school. I enjoy school. But this is how school works. The teacher gives you a syllabus at the beginning of the semester, right? And that syllabus has a bibliography on it. It has your assignments on it. It has, uh, it has the books that you're to read. Um, and, and, and it tells you everything that's going to happen throughout the semester. And oftentimes when it comes to discipleship or maturing as followers of Jesus Christ, you expect the church to give you a syllabus with the bibliography on it and the classes to take 
And the reality is life don't work like school. You got to take the information and do something with it in order to grow into spiritual maturity. That's the play. We've seen the purpose. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm, I'm toiling. I'm, I'm using all the energy that God has given me for, to that end. Uh, and, and, and yet now, and, and we've seen the play, uh, now we see a priority. Paul says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. What is our mission? Jesus gave us our marching order and orders in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Steve, how, how do I do that practically? 21st century America in a global pandemic. The reality is creating connections is an incredibly difficult thing. And the job, I believe, of pastor and leader is to create the opportunity for the connection. Meaning that every detail, like school, is not going to be worked out for you. But there's going to be some onus on you as the person to go pursue the relationship with the person who inspires you in your faith. That's hard. That's difficult. We talked about community and we talked about fellowship and we said those relationships are messy and difficult and sometimes stuff doesn't work out. And yet if I'm in Lindsey Greer's group, every waking moment that she ain't got a kid in her hands, I'm saying, I need to spend time with you. If, if I'm in Luke's small group, I'm saying, hey man, I need to spend time with you. If I'm in Tony Horace's small group with Nisi and them, y'all, I'm, I'm going to need to spend some time. I need the last 20 years downloaded today. If I'm in Tammy's group and, and Mama Roper's group, I, I, need, I need the last 25 years. I need, I need Lisa and Mike. I need, I need, I need it. I need, you're, you're valuable here. You, you've, been, you've been ahead of me in life. And I need you to pour back into me. And that takes the onus on you, not on the church to do that for you. There's going to be times where we need equipping. There's going to be times when we need uh, training. There, all those things are going to go part and parcel. But it's still on us to do the work of building the relationship and pursuing the relationship. So how, how, like, where, do I even, where do I even begin? Whose life is compelling to you? If you're sitting here, I've been a Christian for 20 years, and I don't know the foundational elements of Christianity, man, I need to go talk to the guide. I need to go talk to the pastor. Help me understand some of these foundational levels because I'm called to do what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 1. It's a women's brunch next Saturday. Kaylee Puckett got five kids, been walking with Jesus for 30-something years. I'm going to need some time with you. Creating space and connections. I can create the connection, the, the opportunity, but I can't do the work for you. Okay. And so God, so God is calling us 
to be a, a, a group of people. You say, Steve, I'm busy. I got all this stuff going on in my life, my life, my life. There's so many things going on in my life. Just the same way as Pastor Derek talked about making a budget for your money. There's certain things that take priority in your life that you got to prioritize in your life. That's the reason why the reason why CJ had an extra room in his house is so that I could come live with him. There's money that's spent with a mind focused on Colossians 1, 28 and 29. There, there, there's a method to the way that we prioritize our time based on Colossians 1, 28 and 29. I, I know that, that, that your, your job is calling you to this up and to the right. Give me more, give me more, give me more. But there's more to life. And so the call is, the call is to have a budget to your time and a priority to the things that God calls important in your life. One of, one of my friends used to come up, he said, Steve, I know you're busy. Steve, I know you're busy. Steve, I know you're busy. But will you sit down with me and talk to me about the Bible? Steve, I know you're busy. I said, man, this is what I do. This is the point of life. Stop talking about Steve, I know you're busy. This is the purpose of my life is to sit and talk with you. That's the purpose of my life. And here's the thing, it's because Jesus Christ wasn't distracted by all the things going on around him and always did what pleased the Father. It's because Jesus didn't allow the distractions to bombard him from doing what his purpose was, what his mission was, for you and I to experience salvation because of his death, burial, and resurrection. It's because Jesus Christ wasn't distracted from that, that he died in our place and rose in victory over Satan, sin, and death, and then calls us to do exactly what he was doing with his disciples. Go make disciples. It's, it's, to, it's to go as you're going. As you're going, as you're going, I'm going to the store. I'm going to the gym. I got to run some errands. You want to roll with me? Paul says, to that end that I give my life over to this with all the energy that he so powerfully works within me. It's a priority. Our purpose, our play, our priority. Let's be a people who are committed to discipleship. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our lives. I pray even, God, as, as we may have been distracted by things that are important in, in our life, and even for that person, you're like, where do I, where do I even fit into all of this? Uh, God, invite the band to come. But God, maybe, maybe the first step is not ride. It's not, it's, it's, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. I hadn't been regular at church. Maybe the first step for you is just, man, I'm going to get back in the routine of being regular in the regular with, rhythm of, of worshiping together on Sundays. Maybe I'm not a follower, you're not a follower of Jesus at all today. And, and the, the, the first thing that you, you need to be called to is not, play. It's, and I need to look more into this stuff. 
what, what, is, what is faith, how does faith play out in my own life? What do, how do I want it to play out in my own life? And so, Father, I pray that we would be people who make the, a priority out of the stuff that you call important, God, for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.